So here we are with our continuation of our journey through the gospel of Mark here. And, and let me remind you as we pick up in, in the, the passage that we read today, we are now um, following Jesus in the last week of his public ministry. And it's here in this last week that these religious leaders are still doing their best to uh, discredit Jesus before the people. That's, that's their objective. They don't want anybody believing in him. They're opposing him. They basically, of course, are plotting to kill him. That's what they, they ultimately want to do. And so here's just another couple of examples of their efforts to, to undermine him. But we see also in each of these incidents that occurred, uh, we see that he continues really to just destroy all of their attempts through this irrefutable wisdom. They, they just, you know, they think they've got him nailed on something and then his response just completely silences them. And as a matter of fact, when we get to the 34th verse of the chapter here, after a couple of more of these incidents, um, it, it just then will say uh, from from that point uh, forward, they, they didn't dare to question him again. So he just so completely shuts them down in their efforts that they finally you know, give up in their attempts to discredit him. So what we want to do today is we want to look at um, just these two stories really quickly, just give you a couple of insights to the, the parable of the, the vineyard and to the, the situation that we just read about also with the, the coin with Caesar's inscription on it. But then we're going to really focus today on the, just this whole idea of the image. And we want to talk about the image of God and the fact that every single human being is created in the image of God. That is something that has such massive uh, significance for everybody and for the way the world works. And um, when people forget that or people reject that people are uh, special because they're created in the image of God, uh, that's when life on planet Earth gets really, really, really dark and, and evil. And so we want to look at a couple of those things. But first of all, the parable of the, of the vineyard that Jesus tells. Well, one thing that I think is good just for us to know is that this, is, um, this parable is taken from Isaiah chapter 5. So remember, these are the religious leaders. These are the, these are the ones who would know the scriptures. These are the ones who would educate everybody else. So Jesus, as he often does, he's just going back to scripture to, refre- to refute them. And, and that's what he does here. So he takes this uh, parable uh, from the, the fifth chapter of Isaiah, where God talks about how he planted a vineyard and he did everything possible to cause it to be fruitful. But in the end, it bore bad fruit. And so judgment was coming. And so Jesus basically just takes the parable and he speaks it to them. And they recognize, they say, they say to themselves, he's, he's speaking this parable against us. They're the ones who are rejecting the stone that the builders rejected and so forth. And um, they're, they're the ones that are rejecting the stone that was the cornerstone. <laughs> I said it wrong, but okay, you get it. Uh, 
So he's using that. And then the next thing they do after they fail in that effort, then they come back, as we see, with this, um, this whole fake thing about taxes. Now, as we see here in the story, in, in verse 15, when they come and they, they you know, try to butter Jesus up, like, oh, we, we know that you're not uh, a person who shows partiality. You don't, you're, you're not really impressed by people's uh, stature or whatever. Uh, we know you're just going to tell us the truth. So um, should we pay taxes or not? And they're just, they're doing this to try to trap him. And, of course, he knows exactly what they're doing. And so he says to them, why do you test me? And uh, in the other Gospels, Matthew and and I think Luke both, they add, uh, why do you test me, you hypocrites? So Jesus knew what they were doing. But he goes along with them and he says, well, bring bring me a coin, bring me a denarius that I may see it. And so they brought it. And he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? Verse 16. And they said to him, Caesar's. Jesus answered and said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Man, brilliant. You know, what? They, they're silenced. They, they can't say anything. They can't come back at him. And so what we want to look at, though, is what is implied in his response. His, what he's implying is that, yeah, this coin belongs to Caesar because its image, uh, his image is on it. You belong to God because God's image is on you. Give God what is his. And this is what they were refusing to do. They were not giving themselves to God. And it was evidenced by the fact that God's right in front of them and they're opposing and rejecting him. So that's the context. But I want to look now at this, um, just, just this whole idea of having God's image upon us or or being created in the image of God because, of course, the Bible teaches that that is the case. And it teaches us that in the very first chapter of the Bible, the book of Genesis, chapter 1. And here's what we read there, uh, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So this isn't the only place where we're told that uh, mankind, men and women, are created in the image of God. But this is the first place we're told that. And of course, this is the record of creation itself. Now, here's the question that often arises what does that mean? What does it mean to be created in the image of God? Are we talking about uh, that our physical bodies are like God? Or are we talking about our spiritual nature? Um, well, I think we're talking primarily about our spiritual nature. But, but I remember seeing um, a cartoon some years ago where there was, and, and this was a, a, a cartoon that was obviously written by somebody who was highly uh, critical of the idea that human beings are created in the image of God. Uh, the cartoon showed a really obese man sitting in, a, in an overstuffed chair in front of a television with a six-pack of beer on his little uh, tray and, and a big bag of potato chips. 
And, and then underneath it said, created in God's image. And so this is, you know, this is a mockery, you know, like, oh yeah, sure. Like God would create something like this. And, and so, but in that person's mind, obviously that person is thinking being created in the image of God is about your physical being, but yet that's really not the case. Uh, again, primarily we're talking about our invisible nature. Now, of course, we're, we're, we, we have an invisible side to us, right? Now, we are created. Remember, in the story, what does God do? He forms man's body out of the dust of the earth, but then he breathes into man the breath of life. And when it says here that God created, the Hebrew word that's used is a Hebrew word bara, and it means to create from nothing. So we know the, we know the uh, you know, our physical bodies are created from something. We're created from the dirt. Did you know that? That our bodies are made up of dirt. Go dig a shovel of dirt, and that's really what you are. That's what we all are. We're, we're made of dirt. Uh, but God then, and so we know that that wasn't from nothing, right? The body wasn't made from nothing. But it says God created man from nothing. What is it talking about? It's talking about the, the invisible part of us. It's talking about our soul, and it's talking about our spirit. And so that's what it means, first and foremost, to be created in the image of God. It means to be created um, in our invisible nature in his image. Now, there are a few things that I want to point to that show that we are created in the image of God. And the first one is personality or or personhood. Now, um, a person must have knowledge, feelings, and a will. So we have that. We, we have the capacity for knowledge. We, we know things. Obviously, we feel things. And, and we have a will. We, we make decisions. And the, God does this as well. And so it's in this regard that we are, first of all, created in the image of God. Now, um, we can say, though, that animals possess a certain kind of personality. But animals, their, their personality is different. And, of course, they don't have the reasoning abilities that, that human beings do. Now, Cheryl and I have a dog named Barnabas. And uh, he's a golden doodle. And this, this guy is smart. He is so dang smart. It's not even funny. And he's so smart that sometimes we just kind of think that he's human almost, you know, like we talk to him and tell him stuff like, you know, like we talk to each other in some cases. And a lot of times he amazes us with the way he responds. And then other times it becomes totally obvious that he is really just a beast. You know, he, he's not, he's not as, uh, and it's usually when I'm trying to reason with him, when we get into the reasoning part, he's just looking at me like, I really have no idea what you're saying. So, you know, it breaks down somewhere, but we, we all know that, that animals do possess a certain kind of a personality, but an animal doesn't reason as people reason. Um, animals react to certain problems or stimuli, but they're, they're just reacting, um, out of, God has instilled that in them. Uh, an animal doesn't create, 
Uh, It only conforms to certain behavior patterns, even in as elaborate a pattern as constructing a nest or a hive or a dam or something like that. Um, An animal doesn't love in the sense that um, animals reproduce, but not through the process of falling in love with another dog or cat or whatever it might be. And, you know, getting together and creating a family and staying together. Uh, animals don't do that. That's just, they, they again, they reproduce, but not uh, because of love. And finally, animals do not worship. Animals do not worship. There's no, um, you know, the, the, only, the only place that you could even find an animal worshiping, you can't, but... Um, but if you could guess who they would worship, they would worship the Lord. Just like Jesus said about the rocks. Uh, if the people were to be silent, he said the very stones themselves would cry out, but animals do not worship. So, um, personality in the sense we're speaking of here, uh, it's something, this is something that links man to God, but does not link either man or God to the rest of creation. So this is where we begin with understanding the image of God. We're created in his image because we possess knowledge, feelings, and a will. But also, we see the image of God in man through man's creative powers. So again, if you try to compare, and some people do, of course, people want to you know, there are people that believe that there is no distinction between animals and, and human beings, that we're all uh, the same. And uh, there's, there's an idea that's known as species, speciesism. And speciesism is uh, the idea that all species are equal. And so human beings shouldn't have any more rights than animals have. And, you know, obviously animal rights activists and people like that, uh, a lot of times they're thinking along these lines. And so when they see, uh, you know, any kind of um, intelligence or, or, you know, some, some kind of a ability like, you know, making a nest or a hive or a dam or something like that, you know, then they say, look, you know, animals are creators too. But come on, I mean, there's just absolutely no comparison. You know, they're, they're always trying to uh, come up with an ape that's going to be sort of proof that you know the, they're they're just as smart as we are, and there's really no no difference between us and so forth. But you know what what it takes a, an ape uh, years and years and years to learn. Uh, a child learns at six months old; they've already got it all mastered. And so a difference here, but but creativity. So think of human beings as creators. That's what we are, right? Buildings and cities and electronic gadgets of every sort and computers and cars and airplanes and space shuttles and robots and uh, you know poems and plays and songs and paintings all of these things demonstrate man's creative ability. God is a creator, so He creates man in His image, giving us the ability to create. And again, I, I don't need to belabor the point unless there's somebody who really thinks that animals are on the same par of uh, 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 creativity as humans are because it's just absolutely not even, not even a case that you, you could ever make. Civilization 
is man's creation. Just like the earth, the world, and everything in it is God's creation, civilization is man's creation, and it's proof of mankind being created in the intellectual image of God. So personality, creativity, morality. Human beings are moral beings. Unlike animals, Animals don't have a moral code. They don't have a moral standard. Uh, You know, animals do things that obviously, you know, sometimes when humans do unthinkable things, what do we refer to them as? We say, oh, that person's an animal. Meaning they just have no laws. They have no rules. They just do whatever naturally comes to them. The great distinction between right and wrong belongs to human beings alone. And and listen to what uh, Charles Darwin said about this. He said, I fully subscribe subscribe, uh, to the judgment of those writers who maintain that of all the differences between man and the lower animals, the moral sense of conscience is by far the most important. This sense is summed up in the short but imperious word ought. So full of high significance, it is the most noble of all the attributes of man. So... Darwin recognizes, you know, because he's the one who's trying to basically, uh, back in those days, say that, you know, there isn't really a distinction. We're all the same thing. But he does have to acknowledge, no, this, this is a different thing. No animal says, I shouldn't do this. I ought not to. There's no uh, animal code of ethics that they all get together and agree that, yeah, you know, we shouldn't behave this way. Um, we do that, though. And that's because God built that into us. It's part of being made in the image of God. And, and then fourthly and finally, man is spiritual. So man alone is uh, a worshiper. So although man shares a body with such forms of life as plants and flowers and a soul with animals, only human beings possess a spirit. And it is on the level of the spirit that we are aware of God and commune with him. Man alone is a worshiper and all people in all times and all places have and do worship. That is a universal fact. Everybody worships. Now you say, wait a second. I No, that's not true. I know some atheists. They don't worship. Oh, yes, of course they worship. They just don't worship the, the true God. But they worship many things. They worship their, themselves. They worship their intellect. They worship human intellect and human uh, progress and, and things like that. Oftentimes they worship nature. And so it, man is a worshiping creature. This is, again, is a distinction between man and the animal world. So this is what it means to be created. We could probably add a few other things, but this basically this is what it is to be created in the image of God. That we are persons, that we are spiritual, that we are moral, that we are creative. Now, the question is what do we take away from this? What are, what are the deductions from this understanding of being created in God's image. And, and let me say, I, I hinted at it a moment ago, but those who believe this, those who believe that people are created in the image of God, um, those are the people you want 
to run the world. The people who reject that, you do not want them to run the world because before too long, they are going to find a reason why you shouldn't have a place in the world. This is where it always goes. I'm going to show you uh, that there's a lot of thinking like this going on right now in the culture. So first deduction from human beings being created in God's image is this. Every human being has intrinsic value. Every person has intrinsic value. The, the value of a person is just simply because they are a human being. That's the value itself right there. Now, not everybody believes this. And today in our culture, amongst the cultural elite, more and more, these ideas are getting traction. And we're seeing them start to work out in everyday life. Now, uh, Peter Singer is a bioethics professor at Princeton University. And Peter Singer is very well known for, um, he, he's written a lot on animal rights and things like that. Uh, but, he's, but he's very well known for having an attitude toward human beings that completely rejects the idea that we are special or unique. And of course, he rejects the idea that we're created in God's image. So he said this, he said, the notion that human life is sacred just because it's human life is medieval. And by medieval, he's just saying it's based not on reason. He says, I'm using reason. This is based on revelation. This is based on religion. So he says the idea that human life is special, that's a religious idea. It's not based on reason. And of course, he rejects it. But then listen to what uh, Peter Singer thinks beyond that. If a house were on fire, I'd save 200 pigs before saving one human child. See, that's where this thinking goes, because a human is no more valuable than a pig. Now, his friend, um, I would imagine they're friends, they think the same, uh, Richard Dawkins, uh, he said this. He said, any fetus is less human than an adult pig. Now, this is ironic coming from a biologist, because he should know that a fetus, a human fetus has... uh, There's no connection between a pig and a human, right? He should know that. But of course, this is probably just rhetoric on his part. Um, If he really does think that, then he needs to go back to school. But, um, But this is the mentality. Now you see, Singer and Dawkins and others like them are now arguing. So they're proponents of abortion on demand. They're proponents of infanticide. And they're also proponents of euthanasia. And how do they argue? Well, they argue, first of all, that humans have no special rights or no, they're they're not any more important than anybody else. That's where it starts. Now, we all know the term of dehumanizing. So when you want to get rid of somebody or you want to oppress somebody or something like that, what do you do? You begin by dehumanizing them. And we've seen that happen over and over again. It's, it's just the way uh, these people do it. If, if, we can, if we can put them in a category that's less than human, then we can do what we want and we won't have to feel guilty about it or, tell, or have anybody tell us that, that, that we can't do it. 
So um, at some point in history, you, you come to a place and you see these people and you want their land. So you say, well, they're savages. So we got to get rid of these savages and then we can bring in civilization. Or you want people to do all your work. So you bring in these people and make them slaves and at and you dehumanize them as well. Well, they're not really human. They're not fully human. They're subhuman. Or if you want to uh, purify the race and make it all Aryan race, then you look at a group like the Jews and you say, well, they're, uh, they're not really human. They're, they're less than human. And so we can, we can do away with them. And this mentality is alive and well in the 21st century, in, especially in the Western world. And these people that I was just mentioning by name, uh, these are the people that are promoting this. Now, they've gone a step further, though, than dehumanizing. And now they've taken another step to where they're saying, and this is, this is where they justify infanticide because you know they can justify abortion by saying well it's not a human it's a fetus you know they they won't say it's a baby unless they're just you know talking normally about the baby then all of a sudden they catch themselves oh wait i meant the um oh we can't say baby because it is a baby but we're pretending like it's not a baby and so keep the word fetus in there but now what they're doing because what's happening baby babies are being born that survived an abortion attempt or whatever the case is. And now they're saying, well, we, we, we got to kill the baby, even though it's out of the womb. But how do we do that? Well, now we do it by, we say, well, it's not, it's not being human. Now it's being a person. And now what they're saying is that personhood determines your value. And a baby's not really a person. You're not a person until your cognitive skills develop, until you can speak and things like that. So, so there's actually conversations that you could extend personhood out to maybe three years old or five years old or something like that. But then you can take it even further than that. And you say, well, you know, uh, an elderly person who, let's say they have dementia or something like that, well, they're no longer a person. And so we don't have to treat them like a person. We can just dispose of them. And, well, you know, that, that person that has mental illness, that person that lives with, you know, depression and struggles through that, well, that quality of life is so low. That's not really living on the, the, the level of, of being a person. So we can also justify getting rid of them. And now it's coming to a place where it's not just, the ideas are not just uh, the individual's quality of life is so low that we're going to put them out of their misery and send them on to the next world. Now it's like, well, if this person is inconveniencing my life and making my life more difficult, then this person is a problem. You know, that's happening with abortion and with infanticide. So if I've, I've heard arguments that, you know, if, if, this, if this lady has this baby, it's just going to really make her life difficult. 
She's going to have to go through all this emotional trauma, and it's just going to be a hardship. Therefore, we don't want to put a hardship on her, so she should have every right and all the freedom in the world to just dispose of this, uh, well, it's really a, a person that's going to inconvenience their life. This is the world you live in. This is the world we live in. And this, this stuff is becoming more and more and more. Now, we've already been here in history. You know, the 20s uh, were like this with eugenics and things like that. Of course, these were the things that Hitler used to justify what he did. So it's already been here, but now it's, it's coming back around. And Peter Singer, Richard Dawkins, and many other names... Uh, They are looked at as, well, these are the smart people. These are the ones who really know what we should do. Why don't we get people like this implementing policies? Yeah, they'll implement policies that will basically exterminate everybody that they think should not be part of their utopian world that they want to create. And what I'm saying, though, is it's all connected back to a rejection of the Imago Dei, the image of God in a human being. And because if you recognize that, if you understand that, then you are going to place value on a person simply because they are a human. You're going to recognize. And that's the good parts of the world. (laughs) That's partially been because that's how people have understood things. So. We're moving in that direction. A fetus is not a person. A newborn is not a person. A mentally handicapped child or adult is not a person. A depressed teenager or young adult is not a person. And non-persons are not fit to live. And so this is where the reasoning and the wisdom of human beings takes you. Remember what Singer said. The idea that people are of intrinsic value is a medieval idea and God forbid that we should have any medieval ideas because we're modern people and we know way better than they did. I'll stick with the medieval ideas myself, um, which of course are not really medieval. They're universal and they're rooted in scripture and reality. Um, A man named Russell Moore, uh, Russell Moore wrote a book called Onward and he said this in contrast to what I was just saying these other guys are saying. Uh, He said this, the spirit of every age seeks to define human worth in terms of power and usefulness. You see, that's true. That's That's what it is. So this person is no longer useful to the society. So we've got to purge the society of these people that are not adding to or contributing, but they're taking away. So he says the spirit of every age, there's some point in every age where this is what we come back to. But in contrast, he said the gospel of the kingdom defines human dignity in strikingly different terms as Christ himself identifies himself not with the powerful, but with the vulnerable. See, that's Jesus has flipped it all on its head. Jesus came and he spent much of his ministry among the undesirable. He spent much of his ministry among the truly marginalized people that everybody was just like, man, can we get rid of these people? They're really messing up our quality of life. And Jesus came among them. 
He came, uh, he is, Jesus is really the, the true champion of the weak and the vulnerable. Jesus is a champion, not some Marxist warrior, uh, but Jesus is the, the true champion. So that's number one. The, the, the image of God uh, teaches us the intrinsic value of every human being. Secondly, um, because everyone's created in the image of God, uh, that means that everyone should be treated with dignity and respect. You know, this is a huge thing. And it's interesting to me that in the years I've been teaching and preaching and so forth, which are many years now, um, this idea about people being God's image bearers, although it's, it's always been there and it's part of the biblical text, uh, taking it and understanding it and, and, and applying it is something that is, is kind of new, maybe over the last decade, where, where theologians and Christian thinkers have, have kind of start to come out and say, um, you know, if we just understand this as a reality, this will change the way we think and the way we deal with people. And it's really true. You see, if I look at somebody who, in, in whatever way, is undesirable, you know, you have in your own mind a picture of like the people that, those people, man, they are a problem and, or, you know, whatever, whatever it is, whoever, whoever it might be. If you see that person as an image bearer, it changes everything. Because suddenly you're like, well, you know, yeah, that's the way they are right now. But actually underneath all of that, there's a person who was made in God's image. You know, I remember one time looking at a person who was, you know, pretty despicable. Not just in his presence, but in his attitude and everything else. And and I remember looking at him and just thinking how disgusting uh, this was. And then this thought crossed my mind. This man was somebody's baby. And I was like, wow. So I thought of him as somebody's baby. And it actually changed the way I felt about him at that moment. It gave me more compassion rather than disgust. Now, take it one step further back. This person is made in God's image. Wow, that, that, that makes it different as well. And so... As we get a hold of this idea, you see, if we understood that every person was made in the image of God, how could you even be racist? You couldn't. I mean, racism is subtly undergirded by somehow the idea that, that you know, one race of people is better than the other. But if we understand that we're all created in God's image, that really uh, eliminates the basis for racism, for classism, for sexism, for exploitation of whatever sort. So a whole lot of harmful attitudes and behaviors go away if I just begin to see people as image bearers. Wow, this person is an image bearer. I have a friend who's a... um, he does prison ministry. He was in prison, got saved in prison. Um, and coming out, he, God just gave him a heart. He was like a white collar criminal. You know, he didn't deal drugs or kill anybody or anything. He just, he just did some things with money that got him thrown in prison. And, um, but in prison, he got saved. And then he got a, a big heart for people in prison. So now for the past, you know, 25 years or so, he's been doing prison ministry. 
But he was telling me recently something that was so sad. And he was actually, he was actually weeping as he told me that because he ministers to guys coming out of prison. You know, he goes into prison, people come, come to faith, and then when they come out of prison, he has a ministry that tries to get them acclimated, get them back to normal life, try to get them a job, you know, things like that. And of course, one of the big things is to keep discipling them and having them grow in their faith. And so what he was so heartbroken over is that his church that he goes to told him that those prisoners, ex, those ex-convicts were no longer welcome at the church. That they had a responsibility to protect the people and that that just, you know, he wasn't going to be able to do that anymore. And he's, he's just gutted. He's heart sick and understandably so. But what happens now? Okay, you get it that the world doesn't see the image of God in people, but Christians, we are supposed to see this. And we are supposed to recognize, you know, that even the guy on death row is potentially a candidate for salvation, and even that person is made in God's image. So we could see them with with the hope of something good rather than just the, you know, they need to be completely um, annihilated, whatever we might think. So this is how it practically works out. We begin to treat people with dignity and respect simply because they're created in God's image. So I might not agree with somebody. I might have strong uh, feelings in the opposite direction or any of that sort of thing, but my dealings with them are going to be respectful. And I'm going to remember that I'm dealing with another image bearer here. So that's the, the second thing. The third and final thing, we're talking about the things that we deduce, we deduce from being created in God's image. Um, the third and final thing is that we rejoice, we can rejoice and enjoy human accomplishments recognizing that even if those accomplishments are made by sinners rather than saints, I'm using the word sinner very loosely here. We're all sinners. Um, I met somebody the other day and, um, and I, I, I met these people. Some of you might've seen that I had a branch fall on my car when I was driving. Maybe you saw some of that and, you know, busted my windshield, stopped my car in the middle of the road. And I'm fine, obviously. Uh, but, I made a whole lot of new friends. <laughs> All the people that came out of their house to see what happened. They thought there was a big car crash or something. So anyway, we're standing there talking and I met this one young lady. She came. She's very nice and kind young gal, a uh, Christian girl. And we started talking. And then, this, and then the next guy comes out. And so she introduces me to him and she introduces me as a pastor. And so it, it was a little tiny bit awkward just the way she said it. And he looks at me and he goes, well, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm Bill. I'm, I'm a sinner. <laughs> I said, okay. So we got that clear. That's good now. So just for more clarification, I'm a pastor sinner. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, you know, sometimes as Christians, here's what we do. We miss out or refuse to, you know, be, be blessed in a sense Um, by certain things that are beautiful or certain aspects of life that that can be, uh, you know, uh, joyful or whatever. We, sometimes we miss out on it because we think, well, you know, that, that, 
that person's not a Christian. That song's not a Christian song or that film is not about a Christian thing. And, you know, not every Christian thinks this way, but some people do think this way. And in a sense, you kind of get robbed of blessings that are there that are due simply to the fact that human beings are created in God's image. So when you hear a beautiful song, you don't have to feel bad if you find out that it wasn't written by a Christian. You can just enjoy it as a beautiful song because guess what? The person who wrote it was able to do that because God created them in his image. And they're just expressing that creative gifting that God put in them. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have seen this film or heard about it or whatever. There's a a movie out right now called Yesterday. And I I went to see it on Friday night with my friend Dave, who's here from England. And the movie Yesterday is about... um, it's about this, this young British Indian guy who's a struggling musician. You know, he's trying to, he's trying to make it and he just, he just never does. But, but, uh, one night he's riding his bike home and there's a 12 second worldwide blackout. So for 12 seconds, the whole world goes black. And when it's all over, certain things have been deleted from history. So there's no Coca-Cola in this world. So he goes to a restaurant and he says, um, you know, they bring him a Pepsi and he goes, no, I'd like a Coke. And they're just looking at him like, what's a Coke? So, but the main point of the film is that another thing that was deleted from history is the Beatles. (laughs) The Beatles never existed. So, but, but he knows all these Beatles songs. So he starts playing Beatles songs and people are like, these are the greatest songs ever written, you know, and all this. And it's really a a funny film. It's good. But, but anyway, the point is that, and, and this was kind of the point that the movie was making really, that the world is a better place because of John, Paul, George, and Ringo. They contributed something to the world that has benefited and, and been, you know, in a sense, a blessing to people. And as I just thought about kind of the idea behind it, I thought, you know, that's really true. I mean, I can hardly hear a Beatles song without it bringing a smile to my face. It just does. And not every one of their songs, but, you know, many, many of them. Now, for some people, as a Christian, some people would say, well, that's not good because the Beatles weren't Christians. No, they weren't. But they're image bearers. But their creativity, the, the, the unbelievable chemistry between uh, John Lennon and Paul McCartney to write music is extraordinary. Everybody knows that. Everybody agrees with that. And listen, that's a God-given gift. Now, they didn't use it for the glory of God, but we can give God glory for it. You see, that's the thing. I mean, unless it's something just overtly sinful, then obviously we're going to just recognize, no, that's not anything to glorify God over. But, but if you think about it, I mean, you know, if you think about it with a, you know, architecture, you think about an amazing structure or you think about an amazing um, painting or something like that, we derive pleasure from those things. And it's okay to derive pleasure from them because in the end, we can even give God glory for them. I remember A.W. Tozer, some of you might know that name. A.W. Tozer was a, uh, a well-known preacher back in the mid, 
early to mid 20th century. We have tons of his books in the bookstore and all of that. I remember reading that A.W. Tozer read Shakespeare on his knees. What? He read Shakespeare on his knees. Yeah. He got down and he just thought, this is such a masterful work of art. God, I'm going to glorify you for Shakespeare. And I'm, I'm going to read this just, and I'm going to give you the glory while I do it. I think Tozer was onto something. Because when we recognize again the, the image of God, this is, this is what we do. We, we just can say, praise the Lord. That, that's amazing. Now, coming down to the final point, Jesus, going back to what Jesus says here. Jesus is saying to the religious leaders, as I already alluded to, he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. That's the coin. Give to God what is God's. That's their lives. And that's what they were failing to do. So when we think about the fact that every human being is created in God's image, that means that we belong to God. Give to God the things that are God's. You know, your life belongs to God. It doesn't belong to you. Oh, you think it does. And that's what we hear all the time in justification for some of these things, right? It's my life. It's my body. I can do what I want. Actually, no, it's not. And one day you will find out that no, it's not because that body is going to be taken away from you and put in a grave. And there's not a single thing any person can do about that. Protest all you want, but you can't do anything about it. So the smartest thing for any human being to do is to recognize now that I'm created in God's image. That's why I have a life and I belong to God. And therefore I'm called to glorify God with my life. So think about this, three things. We belong to God, which means number one, our identity is in him. See, this is where we need to find our identity. If, if people today, you know, people are super confused about identity today, right? I, they're so confused that it's hard to believe that anybody ever got this confused about who they are. But that's where we're at. How do, you, how do you help that? How do you fix that? How do you get rid of that confusion? Well, let's start with this. You're made in the image of God. That's where you start. You want to know who you really are? You got to go back to the one who made you. You got to start there. Don't say, I'm really the person I feel like I am inside, not the way I look outside. No. The outside is connected to the inside, but even you got to go back further. And in our identity is that we are image bearers, made in the image of God. But when we get that identity right, then you know what? Our self-worth comes from that. So I become valuable, not because I can perform something that is uh, unnecessary for society. I become valuable, not because I'm a contributor, or I become valuable because I look the way people think other people ought to look, or any of those things. I am valuable because God made me in his image. That's my value. That's your value. That's the value of every person. And then thirdly, 
God made us in his image with a purpose. And so I have a basis to believe that there is a purpose for my life. My life means something. You know, this is, you know, the suicide rate is up across the board today. And you wonder, like, why is the suicide rate increasing? Well, of course, there are many, you know, personal factors, I'm sure, that go into it. But the underlying thing is that if you are taught that your life does not mean anything, that your life has no purpose, and and all of that sort of thing, what's the point in going on living? But if you understand, no, your life does have a purpose. Your life does have meaning. And it's all wrapped up in the fact that you were created in God's image. Well, that changes everything. And that's the reality. Now, every human being bears the image of God. Albeit, that image is marred because of sin. You see, that's the thing. The image is marred because of sin. And that marring is is sometimes very, very clear. Sometimes it's not as clear. And one of the craziest things is you can see in people that manifest the worst characteristics of the sinful nature. You can see somehow, so paradoxically, you can see sometimes glimmers of the goodness of God, even breaking through that, that person. I, would, I shared this for service and John Henry uh, told me afterwards, we talked about Hitler a little bit. Uh, you know, Hitler had a charming side. So if you weren't one of the undesirables, you know, probably wasn't that bad of a guy to, to be around. How could he even have a charming side? Well, he was created in the image of God. But then John was telling me he watched this documentary on um, on uh, Pablo Escobar, the great you know the drug uh, cartel, and you know this guy's responsible for the deaths of thousands and thousands of people. Not to mention the the drugs that you know infected so many lives and destroyed people. Uh, but he said in the documentary, his son, who is goes around speaking against drugs and all that said he could not say a bad word about his father, though, because he was the kindest, gentlest, most loving man that he ever knew. Wow. So he's kind and gentle and loving to his child, but he'll kill anybody at the drop of a hat just because that's what he does. How, how does this work? Well, it's the marred image. And there are still those moments where the, 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 you know, the, the reality of being created in God's image, who is love and grace and kindness, the, those will even break through in the, in the darkest situation. But see, here's the thing. In Christ, you know what's happened in Christ is in Christ, the image of God is renewed in us. That's what happened. So when we come to Jesus, and Paul put it this way to the Ephesians, he said to them, put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, coming to Christ actually begins a process of restoring God's image in us. That's what happens. So the image of God in us becomes clearer and clearer the more Christ indwells us and fills us. 
And that's why you can have a person who uh, at one time in their life, the image of God was so marred, they were more like an animal than a person. And today, they're more like a person than an animal. And not just a person, but they're actually more like God. That's the renewing power of the Spirit of God. And so you see this whole idea of God's image. This is the reality. We are created in his image. And through Christ, all of that marring that was there because of sin is reversed. God begins that that reversing process. And so... That's what God wants to do in our lives. He wants to restore us to his image. And as believers who have already begun that that process, he wants us to recognize that the people around us are image bearers. And so whatever we're thinking about and whoever we're thinking of, let's see them through that lens of image bearers. And that will help. It'll go a long ways with attitudes and behaviors uh, toward people. So Lord, help us, we pray, to take to heart these great truths, Lord. Lord, it's, it's just amazing to think of this, this truth that is in some ways, it seems so simple, but it's so profound in its implications. And it really just reminds us that the whole world Uh, stands or falls on what people do with your word. And so, Lord, that happens on a universal scale, but it happens uh, right for us individually and personally as well. So help us to take to heart that we are bearers of your image, that all people are. And thank you especially, Lord, that you're recreating us through Christ and making us once again in your image. We give you praise and honor and glory for that today. In Jesus' name, amen.